0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the Mariners' former traveling secretary, Ron Spellesey, and former clubhouse manager, Teddy Walsh. All right, let's do this. And now, here's Here's your host, Brett Brett
1: Boone, Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with two guys that made my days playing for the Mariners a lot easier. Our clubhouse manager and our traveling secretary. We're going to take you behind the curtain and show you what the game's like behind the scenes. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Spellacy and Teddy Walsh. Guys, welcome to the program. Thanks Hi for buddy.
2: having us. Thank you.
1: All right. This is going to be fun. A little different, out of the norm. Uh, we're going to take it back. I'm going to start with Teddy. Teddy, growing up, when did you decide, I'm going to be a clubby? I'm going to I'm going to run clubhouses. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to I don't know. Take me through it.
2: So, when I was in high school, I had a buddy of mine uh, that his dad worked for the 49ers, And he uh, asked me one year if I wanted to go work training camp for the 49ers. I was 15 years old, just as a summer job. And I did it. The next year, his dad went to University of Illinois with Mike White. So I thought it was just a one-summer deal. And they called me back to work again. And then I graduated from high school, started working for the Niners full-time, ended up working for the Niners for 18 years. And uh, it was during that time that – and – When I said work for the Niners, I was one of the equipment guys. So you handled, you know, you worked in the locker room and you handled the jocks and socks and t-shirts and helmets and shoulder pads. Did the laundry and all that stuff, kind of like in baseball, where you kind of handle all the all the gear and do the laundry. And uh, during that time that our head equipment manager with the Niners, um, he knew the traveling secretary with the Milwaukee Brewers, a guy by the name of Tommy Ferguson. And we went in to play the Green Bay Packers in Milwaukee in 1981. The Brewers had just got eliminated by the Yankees. And um, their traveling secretary asked our equipment manager, hey, every year for spring training, we always bring a football assistant down to help out because we know it's like their off season. Because at that time, there's only like one full-time equipment manager that they would pay with uh, football. So he asked me to do it, and I was like, yeah, I'm in. So I from from 82 through 86 I'd go down to spring training with the Brewers um worked in uh they were in Sun City at the time and then they moved to Chandler and uh I always thought like gosh if anything ever came open in baseball I mean I'm, I'm throwing my name in there I threw resumes in for the Diamondbacks and to the Rockies you know just if anything ever came open this would be a cool cool gig for a guy that's just an assistant equipment manager of football and um uh, finally uh Cleveland uh called and I went interviewed and got the job in Cleveland in 96 I started working for them in 97 um and I was in Cleveland as their home clubhouse slash equipment manager for six years and then uh came out to Seattle and did the last 13 years there
1: yeah very cool and I knew I knew you had the Niners gig uh for a long time I didn't know about the Milwaukee we just had Robin Yount on the program recently and uh so He's you fine. were there with Robin, you know. It, it was that was, Robin, so, that was a that
2: was yeah that eighty one team pretty pretty yeah. incredible team Simmons and Yount Molitor like Hall of yeah. Fame guys Raleigh Fingers,
1: yeah very cool, yeah. very cool. All right, Ronnie, uh, another important yeah. guy and and uh, definitely throughout the course of a season. Ron's our uh, he was our clubhouse or our uh traveling secretary in Seattle. My time there, um Ron. Give me your background. Tell tell the. The people listening to the Boom Podcast, how do you get into this? How do you fall on the traveling secretary for a big league team?
3: Well, I started uh, kind of like Teddy with, I uh, was fifteen years old, and I was the uh, press box attendant for the Spokane Indians. And at that time, Peter O'Malley was the uh, president of the Spokane Indians. Uh, obviously, the uh, son of Walter, <clears throat> so he, he was single and and had a, liked to have a good time. So he was always uh, having a wonderful time in in Spokane when the season was there, which was, you know, it was a Triple A season. We had Tommy Lasorda was the manager at the time, and things like that. And I was the press box attendant, and my dad was the business manager of the Spokane Indians, which means basically all he did is. In the off season he went out and sold signs and did all that kind of stuff because his real life job he was the manager of the elks lodge so that's how i kind of got into baseball and i liked it i played it a lot and as a kid growing up we all did and uh i went to uh columbia basin college uh played there and then i went on to washington state and played there uh, played with a guy by the name of Danny Frazella, who wound up pitching with the New York Mets. And then he was killed in an off-season uh, dune buggy thing, which before he even got a chance to go anywhere. I started, uh, you know, then I started my hotel career. I spent 20 years with Weston Hotels in eight, nine different cities. And uh, in 88, I left them and came to the Phoenix Convention Visitors Bureau. Well, in, in my time in Seattle and everything else, uh, I was kind of familiar with, this, with the Mariners and became really good friends with a guy by the name of Rick Griffin, who was the trainer for the Mariners. And we became really good friends, played golf, did all kinds of stuff. And long story short, uh, in 96, 97, uh, Craig Detweiler was the traveling secretary he decided to retire. He wanted to move back to the East coast. And at that time, what I didn't know was that, uh, the owner of the Mariners wasn't, uh, the current ownership, um, wanted to move that ball club to Tampa and was all set to do it. And all hell broke loose in Seattle. And somehow, some way they had a clause in their contract that they had to offer it to Seattle first. And John Ellis and all his people wound up getting the whole thing going. Anyway, long story short, 1997, Craig retires and, uh, I applied for the job, and because I knew Lee Pellicudis, who was the assistant general manager, and Rick Griffin and all these guys, I pushed pretty hard, and kept bugging them, bugging them, and said, oh, you don't want this job, you don't want this job. I said, yeah, I do, I want this job. I wanted back in baseball. And that's how it started.
1: Very cool, you were with the with the uh, Mariners from 1998 to two thousand and seventeen, yeah. and uh, well, there's probably some days, Ronnie, where you just said well i I, I really don't want this job anymore, but it, it is, and we're going to get into it as as the uh, as the session goes on, Teddy, you know yeah. as a player. Once in a while, you know, we'll be listening to a broadcast and, and they'll mention you. They'll mention you yeah, we, and Teddy Walsh down in the, in the clubhouse taking care of the guys. But nobody really explains what you do. Give me your daily responsibilities. When does your day start and when does your day end?
2: So typically for like a seven o'clock game, um, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, maybe you're at the ballpark. Um, you know, as the years went on, it seemed guys were coming to the park earlier and earlier. And when I say guys are like a lot of the coaches and staff coming earlier and earlier. Um, and the players started coming earlier as well. And then your day afterwards, you figure from the time, to the last out of the game, you got about two hours to clean things up and, uh, have it ready to go for the next day. Um, so, you know, game ends at 10, you're out of there at midnight. Um, So one of those type deals. Um, So what did you do during that time? Um, I used to tell people like, it's kind of like an adult daycare, like the the wives (laughs) drop them off and then you take care of them, you know, you, you feed them and then you send them out to play and then they come back in and you feed them again and then you wash them up and then the wives pick them up and take them home. So you're looking out for them, for their, uh, for their meals, um, for any of their, uh, their equipment needs. Guy needs uh, Hey, can you call Nike? Can you order me some more shoes or can you call Rawlings and get some more gloves or Louisville to get some more bats? Um, you, you take care of their equipment needs from that point, uh, standpoint. And, um, yeah, you feed them, you equip them, uh, you send them out to play and, and try to help them out with any of their other personal stuff. Like, Maybe they show up and one day uh, homestand. You have a car wash, so you make it easy for them. You have somebody there to wash their cars for them, or one day you know you have somebody there to cut their hair for them, um, just to try to make it easier for them because you know their days are long too. You know they're they're at the ballpark anywhere from you know eight to ten hours as well. So dry cleaning too, Teddy. Dry cleaning, exactly, you know. Well, and you Even need, Teddy, stuff. you need
1: somebody there to bleach Boone's hair as well.
2: Yeah, you got to have a gal there to do that.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it. it's. I love how you yeah. put it, though. The wives drop them off, and I take care of them and get them out of there. They, get, they play their game. Right. I feed them. <laughs> Get right. them cleaned up and get them out, and then the real work starts. So we got to get ready for the next day. Ronnie, same deal, right? What time you get to the yard? What time you leave? Give me a snapshot of of a typical day. Let's let's go with a home game. I know tickets are the big thing. Everybody wants a million tickets, and you've got certain. You got a certain, uh, certain amount of tickets, I'm sure, tucked away. With, like when you call a, a restaurant, they say that they have no seats, but they really got you know a couple special tables if the right guy calls. All right, take me through your day.
3: Well, I, I probably start about 9, 30, 10 in the morning. <clears throat> I get there uh, pretty much because what I'm doing is working on the next trip or the trip after that. So I have to put the itinerary together and do all of that. So I'm doing all of those kinds of things, going to the bank, getting the meal monies, doing all of those issues while uh, the day is going on. And then I'll go down to clubhouse about oh, 5 o'clock just before uh, the guys go out on the field and make sure that everybody's got their tickets, whatever their needs are, and uh, when they go on the field for BP is when I go up and start doing tickets, and then you'll get the odd request, uh, you know, maybe the wife will call, or maybe uh, the player will call and say, hey, I forgot to leave tickets, or whatever the case might be, so you always keep a few in your back pocket just to make sure that that's taken care of. Sometimes I'll give them to Teddy, because I've got to go do something else, so he'll fill them up and take them out or whatever. But Most recently, probably, oh, golly, four or five years ago, Major League Baseball and the Players Association came up with this thing where um, players would now be taxed for their tickets. And it all started with the NBA and all of that kind of stuff. And so free tickets became a non-entity. And now they had to put it into a computer system And so now the player had to go in and put his tickets into the computer, and he was taxed on those tickets. And that stopped a whole bunch of ticket requests, especially on the road, which was uh, probably a traveling secretary's worst nightmare. Um, All those years prior to, he had unlimited tickets, or at least the player thought he had unlimited tickets. And uh, that became a nightmare. But uh, since this since now they have to pay a tax, it's like, whoa, because somebody else sees the the ticket request and sees the money out of their check and <laughs> things stop.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting because we do and, and we just take it for granted as players that we've got unlimited tickets when everybody asks, yeah, fine, I'll leave you a few it's good and bad. It's kind of that catch 22 for a player. Now I can say, listen, I got to pay for these tickets. If you want to Venmo me, I'll leave you six, you know? Um, and I'm dealing with that with Aaron right now. in in New York, you could imagine, you know, I, I get to a point where people are calling me and I said, Do you realize I'm, I'm Brett Boone, not Aaron Boone. My brother's the one that, that manages the Yankees. So quit calling me for Yankee tickets. And Aaron's made it pretty simple at this point. He, just said, you know, if you want a couple tickets, whatever, uh, just tell me Venmo, Venmo Laura, which is his wife, and it makes it real easy for a lot of people. It's like you want to pay here. Here's the deal, and if not, well, then okay, go to Matthew, my youngest brother. He he tells him to go to uh, what's that ticket? You know, like everybody else. If you want to get a concert ticket, where do you got to? Huh? Yeah, ticket man. Yes, yeah, stu- yeah. Matthew StubHub. says, "Hey, somebody." Yeah, Matthew will get a uh, request for Yankee. To, you know, it's always Yankee Boston on Friday night, <laughs> and Matthew will send sa- oh, yeah. send the uh, StubHub website back to him, and that usually ends the conversation. Right. Ronnie, I'm off. No, you can- know, I I kind of have a, I, I have a pretty good grasp uh, of about your daily what what your day entails and and you as well take but not everything and this is going to be interesting for me to to really get what's going on the planes players we take it for granted in Seattle you know, we had John Allen's playing that we leased for him during the baseball season but how does that all how far in advance do you do you have to to get that the ground transportation that takes us to the airport, that picks us up in New York when we're going to New York, takes us to the hotel, buses to the yard every day, uh, the hotel. Is that picked before the season? And and as far as the planes, how far out do you? is there a change in the plane? Who do you call for that?
3: Well, when we when I first started, uh, we um, we were kind of all over the place with planes as to who we had. Until uh, we finally got an inroad with the uh, Paul Allen Group, Balkan was the name of the company, and uh, we had their plane, which was the same plane that flew the Seahawks, which was a seven-five-seven, and uh, it had eighty-eight seats. And for baseball, we could, or for football, they could make it a hundred and eight. So they did certain things to uh, make that happen, but. We we typically go and do hotels, and do airplanes, and buses, and trucks, and all of that uh, in October and November, and then confirm everything at the winter meetings in December. So we basically are loaded and ready to go uh, the first part of, of uh, December once the winter meetings are over because once the winter meetings over it, it goes pretty quick before spring training and you've got a lot of other things going on too.
1: So we That's try and it. book
3: it out as far as in advance as we can.
1: Yeah. It makes sense too. Cause I mean, you've got so many people under that umbrella that in that traveling crew. And- well,
3: and Teddy, Teddy needed to know too as to uh, the hotels and everything, because he had things to deal with and the same with, with um uh the plane and the trucks and all of that and i'd always go to teddy and say hey do we have any issues with the trucking companies are there bad ones good ones what's going on so that Mm -hmm. if we needed to make a change if we didn't like somebody we could make that change before we signed any contracts
1: while i got a quick second, want to give a shout-out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official
0: sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Thanks, Boone. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. Everyone wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, Who will make it to the next round, and who will hit the most three pointers? Then track your results. Simply download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code Boone B O O N E. Bet five dollars on any college hoops team to win, and get two hundred dollars in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code Boone B O O N E this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Twenty one plus. Restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and Referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler one 1-800-426-2537, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-NEXT-STEP, Arizona, 1-800-522-4700, Colorado, New Hampshire, 888-789-7777, visit HTTP colon forward slash forward slash ccpg.org slash chat connecticut 1-800-BETS-OFF-IOWA 1-877-770-STOP 7867 8, 7, Louisiana 8778 7, 7, 8, HOPENY. Text HOPENY 467 369 New York. Visit OBGR.org, Oregon. Call text in Tennessee Redline 1 800 Tennessee or 1 3500 Virginia 21 plus, 18 plus New Hampshire, Wyoming. Physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana michigan new hampshire new jersey new york oregon pennsylvania tennessee virginia west virginia wyoming only minimum five dollar deposit required eligibility restrictions apply See HTTP colon forward slash forward slash draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details and now back to my
1: interview with ron spellacy and teddy walsh teddy you and ron you work together quite a bit i mean on on certain yeah. you got you had to coordinate
2: Right, 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 right. You know, and getting back to what Ron was saying about the plane, I remember before I came to Seattle, uh, talking to guys about Seattle, I remember Charlie Maggie, one of the players in Cleveland, said, hey, the worst part of Seattle is the travel, but the best part I hear is their plane. And so for a number of years, and I don't know how many years it was, Ron, we had that Paul Allen plane, which was unbelievable. and We actually that,
3: used it to yeah. as a sales tool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, took, that, we believe took, me took I, I flew in players. it a lot that thing was the greatest
2: yeah, yeah. we
3: took prospective players put them on the plane and we had the crew there yeah the flight crew came down yeah yeah and, and met the player
2: I went I went the one time they were uh they were recruiting Carl Pavano yeah and I remember I went with uh, Brian Price and Carl Pavano and his agent and we went to the plane and looked at the plane and everything because I obviously that was a big concern of players coming to Seattle. It's like that travel's got to be hell, yeah. and everybody was like, "Hey, but we got this plane. Look at this plane." So,
1: and and it was cool too because it was a private plane, Ronnie, and we'll get into right. that a little yeah. bit later. Versus, you know, just chartering a Delta where where there's a few things you can get around on on the private plane, Teddy. Uh, we're leaving tomorrow's getaway day. We're leaving after the game. Right. right. What are you doing? How are you getting ready for that? It's Saturday night. Game just ended Sunday. We got a day game getaway day headed to New York after the day game. Snapshot right of that. After the
2: game. Right. So, so Ron's already set up the truck. He's got the, the times the truck's going to be, you touch base with the truck driver. Hey, we're going to start loading stuff on Sunday, fifth inning of the game. Um, so you start loading all your, your extra equipment, your trunks, the trainer stuff, the video guy stuff, um, get all that stuff loaded. Then after the game, um, you got the player stuff, uh, their bags, their bats, um, their gear, all that's getting loaded. And uh, as soon as you get, you know, the last player bag after they've showered, um, boom, you jump in the truck. Drunk. I would jump in the truck with the truck drivers and we would head to the airport. Um, the luggage, when the player came in that morning, their luggage had already been dropped off. When they come in, they'd leave their luggage out there, and that load of luggage would already go out to the plane, which Ron had already set up, was there waiting for us, so that luggage would all get loaded on the front of the, underneath the plane but on the front compartment. And then when I would come with equipment after the game, we would drive to the back of the plane, and that equipment would get loaded on the back of the plane. As soon as the last piece was on, and the players were on the bus, we were, we were off and running. Um, land in the city, as soon as you land, um, we got to the point where we had two trucks, and you had one belt loader at the front. All the luggage would go on uh, one truck. All the baseball equipment would go on the other truck. The one truck would go straight to the ballpark. The other one would go straight to the hotel. And uh, kind of the same way on the way out.
1: So yeah it's so interesting because we you know i i remember now sitting on the plane looking out and you're always out on the tarmac right teddy and you're making sure everything's getting loaded and, yeah, and
2: every, nothing's there, missing but, but uh, you know yeah you're, you're you're watching to make sure stuff goes you know stuff that falls out something gets broken you know uh, there was a time when i first started that you would actually they would be short on mode helps and you would be running the the belt loader with the, the switch on off <laughs> switch but you know, I think after a while, like, no, 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 you, you just, that's, that's a union thing. You can't be doing that. can't be touching that. So it's basically you're just out there just watching, make sure if something goes wrong, all of a sudden maybe we can't fit or a door doesn't close, you know. And, again, in contact with Ron, like, hey, they're having trouble with this equipment. Like the weights or the guy saying, hey, we got to move some stuff around. Um, so, yeah.
3: That was only Alaska Airlines that we had those issues with.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: Jeez. Exactly yeah and ronnie
1: ronnie (laughs) same thing your day you're not teddy take teddy's on the equipment bus you're on the bus with us you're you're the whiteboard guy you're 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 up there always and then you got you know you got players giving you a hard time come on ron the bus is too early nope that's where we're leaving so you write down the bus time and uh you jump on the on the bus with us the airport
3: take me through it take me through getaway day i'd have two buses One would go at 30 minutes and the other one would go an hour. And I I worked with the trainers and and those guys because they're the last ones. And so I made sure that I was on the first bus and so that we got everything going. And then uh, the second bus, the trainer, uh, Rick, uh, was in charge of that bus. So he didn't leave until everybody was on it. And usually he was the last one on anyway because they'd come out of that training room. And at that point in time, away we go. And then, if there was any excess luggage, like some of the players, Cameron and some of those guys would forget something, and or be late, because Eddie'd have the the, uh, the first uh, truck gone at say uh, thirty five minutes after the game. Well, it was gone with all the all the whatever was in there. So on the bus, we'd always have. Oh, maybe five or six extra suitcases for the latecomers. In some cases we'd have a couple extra um equipment bags if somebody was late. So we always had but that was the second bus and we're the guys at the airplane were waiting for that bus and when it came in, boom, off boom. We get in the on the plane, lock the door and go.
1: I think something interesting that that fans out there listen to the to the podcast today, they'd be interested. How big is the traveling party generally, uh, generally? And who does that entail? Obviously, the players, obviously, the coaching staff, you and Teddy. Who does it entail beyond the, the, the people on the field?
3: Well, are you want staff or what? Because we Well, just just generally, generally.
1: Clearly, what's your traveling party for? Nowadays, you know, 2022 used to be a 25-man roster. Now it's 26. We used to have, you know, four or five coaches. Now there's extra coaches. What is a general traveling party city to city? How many?
3: Uh, I would say 60 is probably a good number. Uh, Maybe, you know, sometimes it'd be 55. Sometimes it'd be 60. Just all depends... Uh, We always added, you know, like in September, um, you always had the call-ups and everything else going on, so you'd have as many as 75, maybe, with everything that was going on, because they'd they'd reward some of the coaches, too. We'd have two or three extra coaches that would go on trips, and then Teddy could bring uh, an extra equipment guy, usually on certain trips, because we knew we were going to be in three cities or so, so... He would have an extra equipment guy. Then we'd have our radio and TV guys that were members of the Seattle Mariners. We never carried or took, unless there was a major exception, uh, any newspaper people. It was always our own media people. And that was root sports. And so you had the the cameraman, you had all those kinds of people about 10 of those people. Uh, and then you had your players and then you had all your coaches and then your video coordinator, your trainers, your, um, um, interpreters, um, strength and conditioning go- coaches, stuff like that.
1: Teddy, this is always interesting to me. You know, we, as players, uh, and I don't, and I don't mean to sound like, no, we don't take it for granted, but we get to the next city and, and all our stuff's up in our locker when traveling. And let's say somebody like an Ichiro or or a Ken Griffey Jr., you know, just high, high, high profile guy. You ever worry about from the time you leave the ballpark to the time we get to Yankee Stadium, somebody stealing our stuff? Yeah,
2: I mean, I mean you did. And, and it happened, uh, you know, and. and you talk about each row that was a guy that was on top of like all this stuff And one time we came out of New York and like the next day he came to me with his interpreter and said that he was missing his wristband from New York so called the visiting clubhouse guy in New York Lou Kakuza missing a wristband like are you kidding me like looking all around can't find it and then like two months later Lou sends me the wristband they moved like a washing machine and found it back there but I mean (laughs) it's just uh but when you talk about it like really missing like serious equipment like bats and stuff like that one time etro had a bat missing in detroit and they found out that somebody had swiped it and had it on ebay or something um but yeah i mean that, that that's one of your worries and and that's why you want to make sure like ron said that you have trucking people that you can trust um from the time that you leave the guy to go to the uh from the airport to the ballpark that you know nobody's pulling the truck over and and ransacking your your equipment um but i think for the most part when you travel when when you're on the road there's a visiting clubhouse staff there that everybody trusts and you know they've done it so many times they know the drill that they're not going to take anything they're, that's that's why they've been there for so long that's you you have that trust with them that they're, they're not there to, to steal from you so um, I
1: I, you I'd to- have to say I never had because that you know as uh, and I'll tell the people out in the audience listening for for us as players and, and Teddy would always hey, what you need what's really important? make sure you got it in that bag if you've got something that you normally don't bring. So as far as like gloves shoes right certain That's things right. that were essential I always made sure they were packed I never one time got to another city and had any problems with that and you know me Teddy I was a I was a crazy right. bat guy so man I'd get to that right. next city open my bat bag and make sure each of the 150 bats I brought and labeled were there right. so yeah I never had any problems and and I think it's just not like I said not that players take it for granted but we just get to the next city no oh, this is the way it is there's my bat there's my, right. you know, my right, uniforms right, right. hanging in my locker. And, and uh, uh, how about how about Ronnie on the on the planes? How, how do we come up with it with a menu? I know sometimes we were asked and you'd come back and kind of kind of uh, quiz the the veteran players. Hey, what do you guys want? You want cheeseburgers? You, you want this, that? Who, who makes those reservations? or is that something you just you have such a good relationship with our flying crew with the flight attendants that it's just a phone call and hey for the next trip instead of the cheeseburgers let's do chicken sandwiches
3: yeah well we would kind of get menus um when we were with vulcan we did menus with the flight crew usually on the plane um on the way home after the road trip saying this hey this worked good this was Players didn't like this, and they knew what the players liked because it was the same flight crew. And nowadays, you don't have that because you're with Delta, and Delta doesn't provide you with the same flight crew. So it became, you know, it becomes a. a, The players go, "Oh, geez, I don't know. What do I want today?" You know, and we had uh, Sean Figgins, who would always want. chicken uh, wings. And so he'd order from Popeyes or wherever he could order from, from the visiting clubhouse guy, and he'd have chicken wings. Well, a couple of times we decided in Anaheim, for example, let's do In-N-Out burgers. And we did. On the plane at Vulcan, we had In-N-Out burgers because we had a short trip. So that's how we put on the plane. We had French fries and chocolate shakes and and, and uh, sodas and stuff like that, and the um, In-N-Out burgers. So it really depended on how long the trip was, too. If we were flying from Seattle to New York, we had two meals. We had a, a salad and some this and that and everything else, uh, and then we also had um, two or three entrees, and then... We'd go over those at the end of the trip, what went well, what didn't go well. And we find out what the players really wanted. And then it was easy for us after that. And for the most part, we would go to, like, the Cheesecake Factory or places like that and order through the flight crew um, the meals. And that's how we, that's how we fed you guys.
1: Yeah. I remember too. It was always, I, I remember you asking me, what do you think Booney? And uh, and I said, Ron, it's always a good option to just have a cheeseburger in your back pocket. So whatever the entree is yep. going to be, but then just have the cheeseburger option for the people don't want the entree. For the, and, 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 uh, you're right about that 757 we had, because I put, you know, I played with four or five teams throughout my career. Seattle was the only place that had that, that private plane where, where you did, you had a, you had a relationship with the flight crew. You know, they had, uh, I, I forget, was maybe five to seven and they'd rotate. Sometimes you'd have, you know, four of the five that you had last time and someone was, but you kind of had that. It was a friendly face. It was a face you knew when you got on the plane. Sometimes I remember in Texas, uh, We'd go to Arlington. Most of the our flight crew was was in the front row behind our dugout cheering for us in the ne- you know, and they're they're uh, getting us to the next city that night. So that was a real yeah. perk I think we had in Seattle that was uh, cool. When I was in Cincinnati, shoot, when I when I was in Cincinnati, I played for Marge Shot. She made us go commercial once in a while, coast to coast. I mean, we're going through the airport with with Deion Sanders and sitting on a on a commercial flight. And I thought, this is not fair for the players to be on the same flight. At the same time, it's not fair for the people, you know, going home or to visit their family to have to deal with a bunch of players that just finished a game. But that that we went from that to uh that great situation uh that we had in Seattle. And I'm interested, Ron, your last year was 2017. Did the meal money change at that point? Because I know now, I think they've eliminated meal money. Is that right?
3: It was just changing uh, when I when I left. It was just changing. But uh, what what they did was they took away um, in, in the clubhouse, too. And, Teddy, I don't know if you were there. I think Ryan was then there. But they took away um, clubhouse dues. And yeah. Did, yeah, made a, yeah, and each player got like uh $70 instead of the normal amount. And right. um that's what was that's what they used for for their um for their food and all that kind of stuff because then the ball clubs had to pay for meals, they had a minimum of two meals at the, at the ballpark. But, you know, it, it when when things were going good, we had Jeremy and and uh, the other guy. I can't remember his name, Teddy. But uh, you guys the, were doing the chef. Yeah, the chefs and dinner the, for these guys.
1: Back the, right, 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 right. Yeah, I'd have um, I'd, I'd come uh, off the field for BP, and I used to I call him Chef Boy Jeremy. And I'd come off the field for BP, and he'd have my whatever I wanted that day—my my chicken breast and my rice—and oh, it was a it was a great thing. And I think that was the beginning of it, Teddy, right. in Seattle when you I were coming mean, uh, in, where, where we started like, kind of we started up in the game.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the ballpark in Seattle was like one of the first ballparks that I saw that actually built. I mean, they really did a nice job of of thinking about it from like a clubhouse guys perspective because you could pull the truck right up to the clubhouse to load. You didn't have to take it to a loading dock. Um, both clubhouses had kitchens, full kitchens in them. And so you could bring somebody in to cook. When I was in Cleveland, you know, we catered out every night, you know, we had a different restaurant every night catering to food because you know, you didn't have a kitchen there. So I think Seattle was one of the first that incorporated that. And when I got there, um, you know, Jeremy was already there, you know, and he was a, he was a chef and, and like Brett said, he, um uh, got to know what guys liked and he had it ready for him after BP. And if he had a spread after the game that he knew the guy was going to like, he had something different for him. So, um, it was really, really a nice touch and really a lot easier for a clubhouse guy, not having to bite his nails, worrying about a restaurant, getting there in time on a Friday night with traffic to deliver the post game spread, you know, um he could kind of monitor it from inside the kitchen and see if the game was a fast game or a slow game and and plan his meal accordingly um so it was was, yeah it was was a great situation
1: all right we're gonna get back to the flight
2: now now they they don't do that right i mean i mean the the players in in the last in the last collective bargaining agreement before this one i guess clubhouse dues was eliminated so just so people know the clubhouse manager used to be responsible for paying for all the food and drink. And that was what clubhouse dues was. And and the way when I first took over took a job in baseball, it was the clubhouse manager was paid a small salary by the club, but the club knew that you're gonna make the bulk of your income from the players from your clubhouse dues. So the clubhouse dues covered your food and drink and the personal services that you did for them, like providing you know, haircuts and like we said, dry cleaning and and Boone's hair bleaching and try, trying to make arrangements to make that <laughs> stuff easy. That was what clubhouse dues was. Uh, so that got eliminated in the last thing. So now guys are strictly employees of the club, whereas before there was kind of a dual employee thing where you're an employee of the club, but you were an independent contractor as a clubhouse manager and you could do it however you wanted with the food and food and drink.
1: So I don't know, though, like you would out. you would know, though, you would know, though, Teddy, if you were yeah. a young guy starting off in this industry now and you knew you knew both both worlds, the world of low, lower salary and, and uh, make up the bulk of your salary and tips versus the higher salary, no tips. I don't know. What are you hearing? What, what's the better way to go? Are the club? house guys more well off now or was it better in the in the old days and of course it depends on the team and the personnel of right. the team you know some teams have great tippers some teams don't
2: right exactly and i think a lot of it was you know i think we've seen it over time is, is that the, the generation before guys were more um grateful and more willing to tip and as we've as we got into the new generation of guys you started to see like you know, it, it wasn't, guys weren't playing as whip out as much as, as the older generation. So when we say clubhouse dues was 70 bucks a day, you know, if you would have a guy like yourself or a CC. Sabathia or a Felix, he was going to be, you know, three times on top of that per day. I mean, he was, he was going to be good. He knew that you went the extra yard to make his life better. And so they appreciated it and uh, did it. So now, you know, like I said, I've been out of it for seven years. I, I don't know um, if it's gotten better. I know in talking to some of the skippers that I talked to managers, they said every visiting clubhouse they go into, they see long faces because you know, that, that clubhouse guy used to work in there is not getting what he used to get.
1: Yeah. And I always face it. I mean, as a player, I, I was always, you know, tried to be, to be fair, but if, you know, certain cities I'd go into and that, you know, there were certain cities that were that were really good crews, and I'd go in there. Right. And, man, they they were wait. Hey, Booney, what do you need? But you know, I I as a player, because we've all got our things to do. I've got to get to the ballpark. I got to watch video. You know, maybe I'm in a slump. I got early work. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to get ready to play. And the, and I knew the, the 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 cities and the clubhouse guys that really bent over backwards to, to, to really cater to the players and, and really sure. help out with their day. And I appreciated that as a player. I mean, you, we all have sure. our, our basic number that we give per day. And that's just, okay, the guy did an average job. Uh, guy did a bad job. Yes. Now, this particular place, I'm going to really overdo it because they really, Overdo it. And they right. really take care of me. And I think that's important. Right. You know, that's just how I can only talk about Brett Boone and what he, how he thought. But I appreciated effort when I saw effort, when I saw sure. an extra added, uh, you know, paying an extra close attention and, and, and going over the top. I appreciated that in my reflection. What. Well, right. Well, my tips can be a lot better there. You'd go to some cities and they probably had long faces when I left because, hey, this way it's, it's like anything, a restaurant. You know, I get angry at people when they just tip 25%. I'm like, well, that guy, he's never going to learn that he's a horrible waiter. If you just give him 25% on top of everything, that's sure. it. Sure. give him 5%, but man, I got to let you know, if a guy, you know, if he's waiting on a, on a table and we've got four or five guys and the service is impeccable. Oh, a huge tip is in order. If your glass is half, half full, wait a minute, I haven't had water for an hour. Why, why do I just give him a 30% tip? You know, it's not sure. a, about the money at that point. It's about principle.
3: If I can jump in on this a uh, couple things. Um, The veterans always took care of the young kids. And that was what I learned when I first joined the Mariners. Today, that doesn't happen. When um, we would go to New York, for example, the veterans would take the young kids to a clothing store and buy them a couple of suits. That happened all the time. They would take the equipment manager, if he was a new equipment manager or anybody like that, they would take him to this store and buy him a couple of suits so that he looked good. Well, today that doesn't happen. And that's more prevalent, I think, and that's a um, indictment on the player itself, I think, because the young guys today that are quote unquote, the veterans, they aren't doing their job in terms of teaching how you should be a major league baseball player. That's yeah, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting too because you know we talk. I talk to you know pl- current players and and I talk to uh, the players of my generation. And, and you're right. When I got to the big leagues, man, I was it was known that I was a rookie and I had to prove myself. And there was a lot of tough love from those veterans, uh, very supportive. But I had to earn my stripes and and yeah. show that I belonged here. And to, to the point of the suits, it was funny. I mean, we used to they used to dress up the rookies and I'd get dressed. I remember in Cleveland one time, Teddy, in old Cleveland, mm-hmm. it was dress up day right. and they cut they cut all the buttons off my dress shirt and they cut the sleeves off my suit coat. <laughs> and, you know, here I am, a rookie. I don't have many suits. So I'm walking on the plane, you know, all right, it's funny. I, don't, I can't button up my shirt, so my chest is hanging out. But the next day, I get a phone call from Jay Buhner in my room. This was before, you know, before cell phones were prevalent. And he'd say, Booney, be in the lobby in 20 minutes. I said, why? He said, because I told you to be there. I'd get down there. Jay would take me out to lunch. Like Ronnie said, he'd take me down the street, buy me a couple suits. And, and that's what the veterans did back then. It, and they kind of took you under the wing and they taught you the ropes. So one day you were going to be in their shoes to, to mentor the next generations of players. And, you know, I haven't been on the field now for, for 15 years, but that's the story, Ron, what you were alluding to a little bit. There's a, uh, there's a lack of that. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see it get it back stopped, to because yeah. I think it's a better way. Yeah. It's bad.
3: Yeah. And I, you know, I can tell you also that, and and, and I don't speak for anybody but myself, but, um, I got a lot of, of the, of my counterparts who said, you got out at the right time. I said, what do you mean? He says, this is the worst it's ever been as far as end of the season um, gratuities or anything like that from players. Really? So, uh, you know, it's just um, – and and uh, ownership doesn't understand. Ownership has no clue as to what goes on in that clubhouse. Um, from the player standpoint, from the kid's standpoint, you and, oh, who else? There was a couple other players started giving $20 to each of the assistants. Um, maybe it was 25 maybe it was 50 whatever it was. But you guys took care of those young kids. And, you know, not the clubhouse guy because he got his normal check. But you guys gave cash to these other kids. Those yeah, on the kids, way out the door on getaway day. Sure, sure. They never get that right. anymore. Right. And, and and that's a shame because you got four or five kids in that locker room and uh, they don't make a lot of money anyway. So right. um, getting an extra 20 bucks from three or four guys was like, holy moly, look at this. And it was always fun to watch these kids' expressions when players would come up and hand them cash and they go, what's this for? So it's because you did a good job for me. And
1: <laughs> I had a, I had a good kid. series and you happened to be the bat boy two of the yeah. days.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, he might've been the the kid on the street. He might've been whoever it was, but that doesn't happen anymore. That's what's gone. That's just the sad part about what's going on with baseball.
1: All right. I, mean, I want to get back quick, to the plane. Cut. Right. Huh?
3: Let
2: me elaborate on that real quick uh, sure. on the visiting side there. my last couple of years in Seattle, and I, you saw how visiting teams handled their business, um, CeCe Sabathia uh, on getaway day asked the bat boy, he said, hey, did anybody take care – any of the pitchers take care of you for doing the bucket? And he was like, no. And CeCe whipped out some hundreds and gave the kids some hundreds because the way it was in baseball for so long, starting pitcher next day – during batting practice, you had the bucket, which meant all the balls coming from the outfield into the bucket and back into the basket for the batting practice pitcher. Well, after a while, that kind of, you know, hey, get the bat boy, pay the bat boy 20 bucks, let him do it, let him do it. Then it got to the point where, hey, we just don't do it, just the bat boy does it. But then, you know, nobody took care of him. It wasn't really, as like some pitchers would come in and say like, hey, where's your bat boy? Like, "Uh, he's not here yet, he's still at school, you know? Well, well, who's going to do the bucket? Well, that's supposed to be your job to do the bucket. But um, you know, just one of those things. Over time, just it, it, and I don't want to say entitlement with everybody, but with some guys, I think over time entitlement has crept in.
1: Yeah, and, and the thing that I don't like it about the meal money and and the and the it, it, guys aren't expected to tip or it just seems that they still you're going to take pride in your job. Uh, no matter what you do, and you're going to do it to the best of your intent. I would hope, but knowing that, uh, hey, I can have, we got a good club coming into town, guys that really take care of us when we do a good job. That That's motivating. To, I'm going to do a good sure. job because, and, and now all of a sudden, if it's already laid in stone, I mean, why not the majority of people just put it on cruise control, whatever. Hey, could you get me? Well, it's over there if you want it. <laughs> you know, it's like, where's the motivation to to really bust your yeah. butt at your job? I don't know. That's a, that's how I look at you know from a capitalist standpoint. All right, All right. I want to I want to get back to that right. plane ride. That was a while ago, but I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to it. Teddy, we we land in New York. We we've already got. Uh-huh. You already took the you took the equipment. Loaded up the plane. We landed in New York. You and Ron go two different spots. Ron's going with us. Get make sure it goes smooth. Checking in at the hotel. Make sure our tickets and so nobody lost anything. They can get into their rooms. Where are you headed? I'm heading to the hotel with the luggage truck. And the equipment truck
2: is heading to the ballpark. I'm calling the visiting clubhouse guy. Hey, our equipment's on the way. Uh, see you tomorrow. Uh, any special notes? Hey, so and so getting sent out. We're going to be calling up so and so. So just heads up on that one. But I've already sent you the roster of who we got coming. You've got all the people that are be dressing with us. Um, I'm heading to the hotel, and then I would get with the bellman and get the luggage going in the right direction to the rooms.
1: Ronnie, plane yeah. lands, what do you do?
3: Well, we got the buses. We make sure the buses are there, and uh, we get everybody on the bus, and – on our way. When we get to the hotel, we're greeted by the uh, salespeople and/or the services person who's going to be dealing with us, and and uh, we'll get the the uh, key packets and everything. And I'll go over with them if there's any changes or anything that's going on that I'm aware of. Uh, sometimes I'm not aware of until the next day if we're making a change or anything. Um, because I haven't seen Teddy, and Teddy's been told already about something else. So he knows, and then he tells me, he he when we see each other, he tells me, hey, by the way, such and such is happening tomorrow. So we'll know that and be able to handle that as we get to it. But our primary job is to get them, get the buses there, get uh, everything off the bus, and uh, make sure – we go through the buses with the, with the bus driver to make sure somebody hadn't left a cell phone, which always is the case, uh, either a cell phone or something that they've left in the, in the plane or in the bus. And in some cases on the plane itself, because the, we'll get a call from, uh, I'll get a call from the uh, flight crew and they'll say, we got a phone. And I'll say, bring it to the hotel, and they bring it to the hotel, and I wait for them, and, um, and we figure out who is it, who's, who's going to call me and say, hey, I, I can't find my phone. <laughs> <laughs> you alluded
1: to the, to the uh, you know, somebody's getting, Teddy, you alluded to it earlier. You said uh, somebody's getting called up. Somebody's getting sent down. Uh, we just made a big trade. It's a four-way trade. Somebody went on the DL. Somebody's coming up. How do you handle that, Ronnie? you got to handle all their accommodation, getting them here, sending the guy out to yep. AAA, uh, making all those yep. arrangements. Teddy, I, I've always wondered this. It, let's say it's a big transaction day. September, well, September call-ups you can kind of predict, but it's a last-minute, hey, Teddy, we just made a trade. we got four guys coming. Two of them are going to be in the big leagues. How do they get their name on their uni? <laughs> <laughs> it's something I've never thought about. Do you sit in the back and right. sew it on? Do you send it out? Do you have somebody that that, that does it? For- no. You, you. Yeah.
2: So almost every, every city has somebody that does their uniforms in. Some people have it in-house. You know, we were lucky in Seattle. We had the team store upstairs, like, hey, we just made a trade. We got a guy. And I would tell the visiting guy, hey, we just made this trade or you guys, I saw you guys just made this trade, you can actually bring your blanks and just get the, the numbers and the letters and take it upstairs and the guy will knock it out for you in, you know, 20 minutes. Um, but, you know, a lot of places you had to let the guy know, like, hey, I'm gonna need somebody to come pick up uh, blank jersey, blank numbers and and put together, you know, three different uniform tops for each guy, so. Every city had a had a had a go to person for that. Every, everybody had the same situation. They they had it, so they they could they could do it for you. So you had to travel with blank jerseys and numbering kits and lettering kits, so that you could put together that stuff. And, and uh, you know somebody could could do it for you. There, there's some guys. Some of the equipment guys actually sewed. They they had sewing machines and they could do it themselves. Um, Steve in Houston. Yeah yeah
3: interesting so, yeah
2: there was different guys that did it yeah
1: all right um i wanted to ask this question because big time in 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 our history 9-11 hits teddy you're in you're with the with the indians at the time yeah, ronnie's with with, City, with, yeah. with with us and the mariners we're in anaheim i'll go to ronnie first uh what do you remember about that day when you you know, it was, hey, I think it happened about four in the morning of Our time because we were out on the west coast at, at Playing the angels I remember where I was my family was in town With me on that particular trip That had to be An unbel- unbelievable day Ronnie take me through your day
3: Well I I got a phone call from uh, My mother Telling me are you watching the news I go, no it's six in the morning I haven't got up yet Well turn it on and so I turn it on and I immediately go, oh, something's going on here. And that's when the plane went into the next uh, tower. And so we're, I I tell my mother thanks and hang up and and uh, immediately call, I had Pat Gillick and, and Lee Pellicudis both on the trip. So I call them both and say, turn on the TV. And that's all I did. Uh, In the meantime, uh, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I got the phone ringing, both, you know, everybody saying, what happened? What happened? We don't know yet. You know, at that point in time, nothing had happened. We didn't know if we were going to play that day or not. Um, At that point in time... um, you know nothing. Nobody knew anything, and it, it took a while for everything to happen. But in the meantime, uh, we started um, wait. Well, we we basically waited. Uh, I got a hold of Tom Taylor uh, with with Anaheim, and and uh, said, "I don't know if we're going to play or not. I don't know." He didn't know. I said, "Well, when you guys find out, will you call me and let me know so I can alert our people?" And that's kind of the way we did it. And we started that way. And then I had a general manager at the hotel who, uh, I'll tell you this, you probably don't even know this or remember this, but I told him we would never leave his hotel uh, as long as he was the general manager of that hotel because of what he had done for us for that whole week that we were there. But, um, and we didn't. We stayed at the Anaheim Double Tree for five years before he left uh, and moved to Salt Lake City, at which time we moved hotels. But we stayed at that hotel because of what he did for us on 9-11. But long story short, we wound up after finding out that Major League Baseball canceled the games. We called. We had the operators put a message on everybody's phone. There's a meeting in the ballroom at X, Y, Z time.
1: I remember that and
3: at that point at that point in time we uh, we got with Gillick, we got with the everybody that we had, we brought everybody in, made sure we had everybody in, and we walked through it and said, Okay, here's the deal. There's no games, we don't know if we're gonna if we're gonna play tomorrow, we don't know when we're gonna play um we're just going to sit this and and wait this thing out, and and, uh, so we will have meetings every morning and every afternoon and give you updates, and you can come to the meetings, or you don't have to come to the meetings, but we will have them, and we've made arrangements with the the GM to do just that, so we had, uh, I don't know nine o'clock in the morning, I think. And then maybe at three or so in the afternoon. And if there was nothing going on, we told them, but we were trying to keep everybody informed as to what's going on. So that was day one. Teddy. Yeah.
2: Where were you? uh, I was with Cleveland. I was in Cleveland. We were in Kansas city and (laughs) just so happens. Our traveling secretary was not on the trip because he had a procedure, uh, I think, on his back done. So I was like the acting traveling secretary. Um, and so we, uh, you know, found out what had happened. And then I think we had a workout the next day. And then John Hart, our general manager, and Mike Sega, our traveling secretary, let me know that, hey, we've got some buses. I remember John Hart telling me, like, we've got three buses to take the team from Kansas City back to Cleveland. Like, we have to make sure that we keep these Buses are at a premium right now, and have all three buses travel together in case one breaks down. The guys can pile on another one because there's really not a lot of options to get guys back. So I remember I went to, during the workout in Kansas City, I went to Charlie Manuel, our manager, and and I told him that, hey, we've got three buses, and he was like, you know, just thought I was just a clown. Like, you know, I I couldn't get a plane. Why couldn't I get a plane? You know, you're traveling secretary. (laughs) If we had the traveling secretary here, he would get the plane. I was like, no, there's, there's nobody flying, you know? And uh, anyhow, we got three buses and uh, we kept them together. We put a trainer on two, one trainer on each of the two buses, and I was on the third bus and, um, you know, kept all the buses together and, and drove 16 hours back to Cleveland.
1: Yeah, I remember that. That was the whole big thing. Ronnie was nobody can fly, and I and if correct me if I'm wrong, I think we were the first planes to take off that they let take off, and I think it was because it was Alan's plane. It was a it was a private plane, but uh, we yeah we no, we didn't know what it actually what to- wasn't.
3: It was uh, Alaska Airlines, and um, oh, just to kind of wa- walk you through it, uh, we finally decided that there was not going to be a game and they were going to postpone everything for at least a week. So we needed to get out of um, Anaheim and get home. So uh, we arranged for Friday morning, 11 a.m. for three buses. We had uh, two drivers for each bus so we could split that up. And we took – Let's see. We took the we as as we're getting ready. Um, I'm still on the phone calling everybody, and um, I get a phone call from Alaska Airlines. I'll never forget this. And I said, "Hi, this is." And says, "I have a plane for you. If you can be there at 12:30." And I said, "Where do I have to be?" And I will be there. And Says, I I need uh all this stuff. I need this, 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 and this. I said, okay. So I immediately call Pat Gillick and say, here's what we've got going. We got uh a plane, it leaves at 1230. And how are we gonna get there? We're gonna take those buses that are coming. Okay, what else do we need? We need this, this, and this. Gillick says, Okay, I'm taking it from here. He called them. He said, I need the meeting with everybody. You continue doing what you got to do, and I'll take care of the meeting. So he goes in and has the meeting with all the players. Half of them, Cameron was one of them, were headed over to buy uh, Reebok stuff from the, the little mall that was there because we had told them the night before that we are going to go buses at 11 o'clock and that they could – dress real casual, and that the first bus was coaches, second bus was players, and third bus was families because we had families down there because it's Disneyland. So when we get all that set up, I have to get everybody's IDs and everything, and I had everything except I didn't have wives and everything. So I had to get wives and all of that stuff as well. And we had this plane sitting on the tarmac at LAX. So the buses come rolling in 11 o'clock, and I get a hold of John at the time, who was the owner of Gold Coast Tours. And I said, John, here's the deal. And he goes, No problem, because he he and I would spent a couple of days setting this whole program. Up. He says, We'll just take you up to LAX and drop you off. I says, Whatever the costs are you charge me. I says, because you got guys that are here that have probably done some other things. And he says, don't worry about it. We'll get it done. And we had those buses. And then the general manager arranged to have the Anaheim police department give us a police escort. So we had a police escort from the double tree to the gates at LAX And we get off the plane or we get off the the bus, go to uh, where we check all our luggage because everybody had to have their own luggage. And we check all the luggage through. In the meantime, I should tell you this. uh, We had the equipment truck and the guys that were in Anaheim. Teddy, you might remember who that was. I can't remember his name anymore. But he uh, he was the equipment, uh, he took all of the equipment in Anaheim for both the Dodgers and the, and the Anaheim team. And he took two days before and took all of our equipment up. He had driven uh, 24 straight hours, he and another guy, and took our equipment all the way up to Seattle. So we had all of that up there. All we had was each person's suitcase and uh, their travel stuff. So we didn't have equipment or anything to worry about putting on the plane. So that was another Dodson that, you know, that we've done that before. And that's kind of what happened on Friday. And we get there, and we're the only people in the airport. They've never seen LAX that empty
1: yeah and i remember yeah. we were one of the we were one of that and and i was i was mistaken obviously with it wasn't Alan's plane but i remember we were we kind of lucked out getting a plane because everybody was we having trouble getting plates yeah.
3: and yeah what you what couldn't a, what go you couldn't day. do anything yeah nobody could do anything this was the first flight out of lax that day yeah. and it was flying to seattle and she gave us all the seats it was very cool yeah
1: Teddy, you know, I worked as a clubby. I probably showed you. I've, I've, I've given you my resume. Remember, I worked for Bubba as a kid in Anaheim. Right. But the thing is, I, I can always say I yeah. was a clubby, but I was like a fake clubby. I wasn't in the trenches with you. My dad, he said, because I was 16 and my dad wouldn't let me, you right. know, away day. He wouldn't let me load the truck. He said, you get your butt home. You got school tomorrow. Right. So I was kind of like a half clubby. Interesting right. thing for me, guys, glove breaks mid game. Some teams I've been on trainer takes care of it. Do you ever take care of a glove? It's a gamer now.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. Um, I remember in Detroit one time, Will Cordero had a first baseman's glove that broke on him. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm okay at it, but there's always a guy that's really good at it somewhere in the clubhouse, somewhere working down in the trenches. And we had a guy, we had that guy was Jeff Bob, Who's now the visiting guy there in Seattle. He was really good with, uh, working, you know, leather and stringing them and stuff like that. There's always, you know, a lot of times it's a trainer is good at it. Um, I was, I was okay. You know, I was a C plus, but there was, there was always somebody that was really good that could do it. Um, so yeah, we, we obviously, yeah, every, everybody's had that happen where a guy, you know, his gamer glove breaks a string and you know, he, he needs it fixed in a hurry. I mean, he can get by for a little bit, but getting on the glove thing, I remember in Seattle one time, or in uh, Cleveland, we went to Chicago to uh, play the Cubs in interleague, and we left, um, we got into Chicago, and Omar Vizquel comes to his locker in the Cubs' uh, visiting clubhouse and says, Teddy, I forgot to pack my glove. And I was like, oh, no. So he said, I said, you can't use him. No, I got to use my game. I I can't use that other glove. Can't can't do it. So it was early enough in the day, and Cleveland, Chicago is just an hour flight. So we were able to. I was able to catch one of the clubhouse guys back in the clubhouse in Cleveland. He went to Continental Airlines, counter to counter. Then they had one of the clubbies pick it up at the airport in Chicago, and he got a police escort into the ballpark. And when we were batting uh, in the first inning, uh, the glove showed up at the ballpark, and as Omar was going up to the plate, I showed him. We got the glove.
1: <laughs> so yeah, t- I mean, that's, sure I'll you tell you what, that, that
2: game gloves. Like, yeah,
1: that's awesome because people listening out there, that's how important a gamer is to a player. I mean, we, right. there's certain things we could, Oh, all right, Teddy, my, my t-shirt's missing. I, I'm going to be able to right. play tonight with that, but I'll tell you, you take my glove away. It's like that game. You know, I've always got a backup. I've always got my backup glove that I'm breaking in for the next right. season. But but it's not ready to go. That happened to me one time uh, in right. Seattle when, when when I threw it into the crowd. I was signing autographs and I just wasn't paying attention. Kids were throwing me there, you know, their gloves down. I'm signing. Up. I end up signing my glove, throwing it in the crowd. Coming out, uh, getting ready for the game, and you know, I go to my locker, get my bats, my batting gloves, or give Mule my batting gloves to you know put in the dryer <laughs> like I always did. But I'm sitting there. And I'm go- I'm sitting there. And I'm going. Where's my game glove? Right. I couldn't find my glove. And now I'm looking around, I'm going, you know, to the clubhouse kids. I said, Have you seen my glove? My gamer never leaves because right. I don't it was there from the previous night. So I'm going right. crazy. Somebody steal my glove. Somebody steal my Right. Now who who possibly could be in the clubhouse? Now I'm yelling at Ronnie. Was somebody in this clubhouse that would steal my glove? Anyway, it was right. ended up being right. me. I go out with my backup, played the game. In a full panic, nothing happened. I'm driving out of the of uh, the parking lot, and a kid hands me this glove. No, no, no. That's not how it happened. I put an APB out. After the game, I had all the press and the radio and the TV. If anybody's seen Brett Boone's glove return it, he'll sign yeah. a jersey, bat, whatever you need. It gets returned to me that night. And this is before you came to Seattle. David Bell was leaving the parking lot. He signed my glove that a kid gave to him. Didn't even notice it was my glove. I get the glove returned with David Bell's autograph on it. And I went over to him. I said, are you kidding me? And he goes, I had no idea. You know me, Booney. I'm just I was zoned out. I was leaving anyway. that's my glove story. But yeah, to just go, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that you went counter to counter and made sure Omar had his glove. That's important. That's important stuff. Right. Uh, I'm going to give you a scenario. Eddie Vedder shows up. He wants to hit BP. How do we get that done? Does anybody just come in or do you got to be Eddie, Eddie Vedder level of celebrity?
3: Depends on who you are. And who's right. asking Eddie Vedder Pearl
1: jam lead singer, think- Ronnie.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I don't think Eddie's going to ask. It's going to be somebody like Ron says, yep. somebody from the staff is going to ask for him.
3: And well, and- it's like junior in Minnesota. He brought t- Tiger Woods. Right. Um,
1: right. How do how do we handle that? We worry that he's going to get hurt or that's not our that's not our problem.
3: Not ours. <laughs> I mean, so I'm so sure basically it's the, uh, the player's
1: it. discretion. If if Ken Griffey comes in and says, "Hey, Tiger's coming out and is going to hit BP today. A hey, ball game. Can you go get him a helmet?" No problem. Whatever. Right. If he gets hurt, it's on right. you. Right. Okay.
2: But but, yeah. but I think the player's going to the player's going to ask the skipper first and the skipper's going to let the GM know, "Hey, Junior's got Tiger Woods coming, you know, so just a heads up. Everybody knows what's, what's going on. Nobody's yeah. cut off guard. You
1: know. Ronnie. Yeah. The favorite hotel, to favorite city to visit during the big league season. Oh,
3: oh, Toronto. Park Hyatt.
1: Teddy. Favorite city, favorite hotel. Could be the same. Could be different.
2: Right. I, I, I like Toronto too. But I think Chicago for me um, favorite city. Um,
3: yeah, if you're favorite going to city. Yeah,
2: yeah. I My mean, favorite hotel was probably the um, Four Seasons in Las Colinas out there, in uh, yeah, uh, we played the Rangers. Yeah.
1: I'll go to Teddy first. I'm sure there's a lot of them to choose from. But craziest thing that ever happened to you in your in your baseball career.
2: Craziest thing that ever happened. I remember <laughs> we were leaving. We got rained out in Chicago against the White Sox on a, a getaway day. And um, we were leaving. It was pouring down rain. And so we got rained out. We're heading to the airport. And the truck driver in Chicago goes to go out the gate. He normally went out, but they had already locked the gate because the fans had already left early and everything because of the rain out. And so he went to back up and he backed over a fire hydrant with all the uh, equipment in it. And (laughs) when he hit the fire hydrant, it popped off his back axle on the truck, and he couldn't, (laughs) he couldn't, uh, the truck wouldn't move. So I had to call Ron and told Ron, hey, our equipment truck is, we're stuck here in the parking lot. They're on their way to the airport. Like, you know, we we gotta figure something out here. And so (laughs) we ended up calling Milwaukee Brewers came in were coming into town to play the Cubs, and their truck just dropped uh, off their luggage at the hotel in Chicago, and the Brewers truck, who I knew their clubby, he said, we'll bring our truck, you can use half of our truck, we've already got our equipment on. So he brought the equipment, their equipment truck out to the White Sox ballpark, we loaded our equipment on half their truck, the front part of it was, was the Brewers stuff, and took it to, uh, to the plane to, to get it out of there. I mean, we, we delayed the, the trip a little bit, obviously, for that transaction. But we bumped the trucks up back-to-back back and threw all of our equipment from the truck that was broken down onto that brewer's truck and then took it out to, uh, to the plane. So that was, that was kind of a crazy one.
1: Ronnie, you've had time to think about it. All your years, craziest thing that happened.
3: Fire in the Boston Tunnel.
1: Yep, I was there. Yep. Explain to the, to the Boone Podcast listeners.
3: Well, we were, both buses uh, are going from, uh, from Fenway Park to the airport. And as we enter the tunnel, um, we're doing fine. Our bus is doing fine. And our bus driver says, something's wrong with bus number two. And I say, okay, pull over. Uh, we're in the tunnel, and he says, I don't know what it is, but I think it's a fire. I said, oh, you know. And <laughs> Pinella's going, what's going on? What's going on? I says, I, I don't know yet, Lou. Let me figure it out. And sure enough, that's what it was. So we stop the bus, and we get everybody uh, off the bus uh, or on the bus from the second bus. We get them on our bus and get them to the uh, plane in the meantime the fire department meets us there and provides oxygen for everybody and we got hasagawa who needed oxygen and a couple of other players that wanted oxygen because of the smoke and all of that stuff that had happened on on bus number two so that was my crazy one
1: i remember i didn't need oxygen ronnie i was tougher than that hasagawa guy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, well, guys, the, te- the Teddy, was
3: the fire department sets this whole thing up for all the oxygen and they forgot to turn on the oxygen.
1: <laughs> I remember that. I, I'm, I'm saying you, you kidding me. And I, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think it was a good trip uh, win and loss wise. And I remember sitting there. going, Are you kidding me? We're on fire now. I got to get out. We're we had to get out and we're standing in the middle of that tunnel. And then, like you said, yeah. loaded us on that other bus. Unbelievable! And I came
3: back, and Lou came back, and 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 said, "Come on this way, guys, this way." And Jamie Moyer was the first one, and he's going, "What happened? What the hell is going on?" And he goes, "There's a fire back there." Yeah. Well, <laughs> Teddy Walsh, the damn bus is on fire.
1: Teddy Walsh, Ronnie Spillacy, uh, I appreciate. you coming on the program this was oh, this was cool and well, and and i want to say i always appreciate you guys and and my, my time in seattle uh like i said in the opening made my my time a, a lot easier and what we do each and every boon podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it to the voice of the podcast dan levy for a
0: question from the fans dan gentlemen this question goes to both of you guys and you both get a shot at it Give me one good Brett Boone story. Go
3: ahead, Ron. Uh, I got to think about that one. There's
1: none. (laughs) (laughs) You want to think really carefully,
0: Ron? No, don't think carefully. Just let it out. Let it out. Let the cat out of the bag. This is PG.
2: While Ron's Ron's thinking one, I got a quick one here.
0: Thank
3: you. Uh,
2: It happened in Toronto and um, brett was uh waiting on his bag he was hollering down the hallway where's the bags waiting for his luggage and rola was across the hall and he looked at the rooming list and he saw it was brett boone that kept doing the yelling down the "Where's my bag so raul called him and acted like he was the bell captain <laughs> and uh did like a a french accent and uh you know, told Boone that if, uh, if there was a problem, you know, with the bags, you know, I can come up and handle it. You know, you and I can like, we can take care of things like men do, you know, if you know what I'm saying, no, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But, uh, yeah, kind of <laughs> funny one. I, I know Boone's brother, Aaron, always asked me to tell that story, but, uh, yeah. And that was, that was a typical role with Bonyas too. Just seeing some way that he could mess with somebody. Nobody would ever know that it was him.
0: That's awesome.
3: Ronnie. Yeah. Well, the only I, I really uh, I'm I'm having trouble thinking of one that I can really tell. Uh, There's so many, uh, but I think probably uh, this goes back to when. Well, no, I can't tell you that one. I'm what? sorry, I can't tell you.
1: <laughs> All right, That's, I'll tell you what. I, I'd rather. Keep your mouth shut
0: that say something I don't want you to say. I, I honestly did not no. see this stuffing anybody. I, I did not see it stumping anybody, but okay. All right, Daddy, wrap it up. All right, gentlemen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it. Uh,
3: you're welcome. Thanks for All inviting thanks me. for having us. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you guys.
0: That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe never miss an episode and while you're at it give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the moon podcast he is brett boone you can find him on social media at the moon 29 i'm dan levy bass on air that is base on air all my social medias thanks for listening we'll do it again soon have a great one